It's all started in the first century with Jesus and his apostles. And within one generation, people from all over the Mediterranean world are giving up everything they own, everything they have. They're risking their lives, they're risking their own families to be a part of this group. This group that is filled with heroes of the faith, with with emperors who have converted to Christ, with missionaries who ran to the ends of the world to tell of this message, with reformers who stake their lives on the truth, with martyrs who love not their own lives to the death. There is no people like the people of God. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Ecclesia, a study on the church. For more information, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. Right, and it's not just heroes. It is faithful, no-name saints from every country under heaven, generation after generation, who have toiled and suffered and loved and served their God. All right, you guys can be seated. Um, we are primarily going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, so you guys can open up to Ephesians 2. We're starting a new series called Ecclesia. Four weeks on the church. Um, hope you guys had a great new year. I, I personally love this time of year. I love slowing down. I love hitting the reset button. I love kind of reflecting on the year behind. And I love looking forward to the year ahead. Um, and each year, personally, and then with my family, we'll just try to hone back in during this time on who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And I'm sure that lots of you guys do the same thing. And here's what we want to do in this series. Um, because our church has grown and changed so much over, the, over really the course of the last year, we, we want to kind of take this corporate inventory. We want to hone back in on who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do as a church. Because here's the reality, you guys. The Bible has a great deal to say about the church. Right? It tells us how we should be led. It tells us what we should do when we gather. It tells us what we should do when we scatter. And we're going to talk about all those things during this series. But before we get there, we've got to start at 30,000 feet. We've got to start way up high, and we've got to deal with this question. What is the church? What is the church? Because here's the reality. There are lots and lots of misconceptions about the church. Um, Every night before we put my little girls to bed, we'll, we'll go in their bedroom and they, they share a room and we'll read them a little Bible story and pray with them. And every once in a while, they'll just kind of start asking questions about what we're reading about. Well, a couple months back, Julia, who's my four-year-old, she starts asking questions about heaven. And she says, um, well, Daddy, uh, how, how do we get there? And I said, well... Sweetheart, Jesus is the way. Jesus takes us there. And she says, no, 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 Daddy, like how will he take us there? Will he take us in your white car? And I said, no, honey, Jesus does not need my white Toyota Camry to get us to heaven. But one day he says he will come back on a white horse. And she says, no, 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 no. Daddy, one day Jesus is going to come back on a pink horse. <laughs> She's a sweet girl. She's got some theological misconceptions. Um, here's the problem with Julia. Her ideas are not coming from the Bible. And for a lot of us, when we think about the topic of the church, we have ideas about what the church is or what the church should be. But those ideas don't always come from the Bible. 
We've got misconceptions. And friends, when we have these misconceptions, when they play themselves out, they can be dangerous. Because they sidetrack us from who God has called us to be and from what God has called us to do. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask this question, what is the church? But we're going to break it down into three popular misconceptions that people have about the church. We're going to look at three common misconceptions. We'll replace those misconceptions with the truth of what the Bible says. And then we'll close each point out with a, uh, with a resolution in the spirit of the new year. Um, and, and, and quickly before we jump in. Instead of going verse by verse through a book like we normally do, uh, because today we're asking what does the whole Bible say about this topic, we'll be a little bit scattered. Um, all the stuff will be up on the screen so you can follow along. Um, so let's jump right in. First misconception that lots of people have about the church. Um, and again, at, at this point in the sermon, I almost always stop. And I feel prompted by the Spirit just to remind us what a gift it is to have the Bible in your lap. Start a new year, there are almost 2 billion people in the world without a Bible. So it's such a gift for us to be able to come to God, to know him through his word, to know his instructions for us. This is a gift. Um, the first misconception, let's, let's start with it. Misconception number one, the church is a place that you go. Misconception number one, the church is a place that you go. Think with me for a minute about how we talk about the church. Hop in the car. We're going to church. No running in church. This is the Lord's house. Dude, I don't know if I'd have said that in church. Right? This, the new church looks exquisite, just stunning. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and there are all the people. Without even knowing it, we talk about church as if it's a building, a place that we go. Or we talk about church like it's an event. Hey, you should go to our church. You should go to our church. Dude, we got the, we got the greatest pastor ever. All he does is talk about Star Wars. It's awesome. Right? <laughs> or we... <laughs> or, or we think about church as if it's a spiritual shopping mall. Right? This place that we, we come to consume the product that we like. We, we got this great preaching and we got cool music and um, we you know, like the product, and so we go, and like a good customer, we consume it, and we might even get so excited that we advertise it for it. Come to this church. This is the best church I know of. See, lots of us speak of church as if it's a place that we go. But here's the problem with that. The Bible, right? The Bible does not talk about church as if it's a place that we go. It does not talk about church as if it's a building that we come to. Right? And when we talk about the church in this way, we might as well say that Jesus is coming back on a pink horse. So we need to look at what the Bible says. So let's, let's replace this misconception with the truth. Here's the truth. The Bible says that the church is a people, not a place. The truth is, the Bible says that the church is a people and not a place. Uh, the word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. Okay? It's the name of our series. Uh, just means gathering or assembly, and it's used 118 times in the New Testament. Every single one of those times that it's used, it's used to refer to a group of people. Okay, so it's always referred to as a group. Now, here's where things get a little bit tricky. It's used in multiple ways, or to refer to multiple kinds of groups. So let me show you a couple examples. Um, in Romans chapter 16 and 1 Corinthians 1, 
uh, the word church is used to refer to believers who meet in a specific location. Church that meets in their house. Or the church of God in Corinth. In Galatians chapter 1, we see that Paul is writing to a group of churches in a certain region. To the churches in Galatia. And then we don't just see it used for local churches. Later in, in the book of Ephesians, we see Paul speak of the church as if it's all believers at all places at all times. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we've got to ask the question. What is the church? Is the church believers in one place, or is the church all believers ever? And, and here's what the Bible would say. The Bible would say it's both. Okay, and thankfully, theologians have historically broken the church up into two categories. You've got the universal church, and you've got the local church. Now, we're going to spend the back part of the sermon talking about the local church, and we'll spend, really, the bulk of this series talking about the local church. But if we're going to rightly understand who we're to be as a local church, we first got to understand the universal church. Okay, so let me give you guys a working definition of the universal church. Universal church is the new covenant people of God. And it consists of all true believers of all places at all times. The universal church is the new covenant people of God, which consists of all true believers at all places at all times. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 when he says this. Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And then a couple of verses later, he says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Every believer in every place at every time, the universal church. Now here's a question. Have you ever taken the time to consider that God's plan has always been a group plan? God's plan is a group plan. See, friends, we live uh, in a very individualistic society. And that, the individualism in our culture has crept into the church. So we're always emphasizing your personal relationship with God, your own personal relationship with God. And, and here's the deal. There is no doubt that God wants to have a personal relationship with each person in this room. But far too often, we so emphasize that that we don't see that there is a very corporate element to our salvation. There is a very corporate thing that God is doing. God's plan is a group plan. And it's been this way since the beginning of the church. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when God sends the Holy Spirit for the first time, he's not just saving random individuals. Okay, he is forming a people for himself. Look with me at Titus chapter 2. Here, here's how Paul explains it to Titus. He says, Jesus gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One of the primary reasons that Jesus died, right, and rose again was so that he might form, so that he might purify for himself a people for his own possession. Right? He, he's not just about buildings and services. The living God is gathering a bride, a body who would belong to him, who would be his set-apart, distinct people in the world. And friends, when we misunderstand this reality of what the church really is, we miss out on one of the most glorious, beautiful truths in the entire world. Okay, think about it like this with me. Have you ever been a part of a, a community or an organization or a group or a team that you just felt honored to be a part of? Something that you just felt thrilled to be included in. 
Most of y'all know that before, um, before I came to CBC, I caddied for one of my best buddies on the PGA Tour, a guy named Webb Simpson. And um, I came here in 2011. In 2012, Webb won the U.S. Open. Huge deal in golf. And I remember thinking, wow. Dude, the fact that I get to be just associated with that group. I mean, I felt so honored to be connected with that group of people. Maybe you've had something like that. But friend, here's what I want to hold out to you this morning. Can you think of any people, of any group that is a greater honor to be a part of than the people of God? What a privilege. It's all started in the first century with Jesus and his apostles. And within one generation, people from all over the Mediterranean world are giving up everything they own, everything they have. They're risking their lives. They're risking their own families to be a part of this group, this group that is filled with heroes of the faith, with with emperors who have converted to Christ, with missionaries who ran to the ends of the world to tell of this message, with reformers who staked their lives on the truth, with martyrs who love not their own lives to the death. There is no people like the people of God. Right? And it's not just heroes. It is faithful, no-name saints from every country under heaven, generation after generation, who have toiled and suffered and loved and served their God. And friend, God is extending that grace to us to be a part of his people. Rich and poor, old and young, Jew and Gentile, red, yellow, black and white. The people of God, a people for his own possession. There is no greater honor than to be a part of this people. Church is not a place that we go. Church is who we are. And and let's stop here and let's make our first resolution. Okay, so first resolution is this. In the new year, resolve to think and speak correctly about the church. In the new year, simple, it doesn't take a lot of commitment. Resolve to think and speak correctly about the church. We go to be with the church. We go to gather with the church. We worship God in a church building. Here's what we teach our girls. Here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and there's the church. All right, it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Some of you ladies could help me there. Um, the church is a people, not a place. Now, next question is simple. Here's what we all should be asking, right? If the, if the church is the distinct, set-apart people of God, the people for his own possession, his special people in the world, then how do we get in? How do we become a part of that? This leads us to our next misconception. And here's misconception number two. The way into the church is to straighten up. Misconception number two, the way into the church is to straighten up. Uh, This past week, we were with my extended family on on a vacation, and we had all the little cousins together. Okay, When when the cousins in our family get together, they rile each other up. So they're running around. you got moms and dads and aunts and uncles swarming like a SWAT team saying, you better straighten up. If you want ice cream later, you better get it together. And, And sure enough, when the kids want ice cream, they get it together, at least where we're watching. But when it comes to being a part of the church, a lot of us 
a lot of us view it like that. If we just straighten up, we'll be in. If we just kind of cut back on our old extracurricular activities and we show up Sunday after Sunday with our shirt tucked in and we start saying phrases like, well, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. Right? And if we, if we put his radio on one of the presets in our car so people think we're listening to Christian music when we get in, we think, hey, I'm, we're, I'm good, part of the people of God. And friend, nothing could be farther than the truth. And here's the risk. When enough people in a certain gathering start thinking that way, start thinking that if I straighten up, I'm good, then pretty soon you end up with this sort of semi-religious social club with no spiritual life. So what is the truth? What does the Bible say? What is the way into the people of God? Let me give it to you. The way into the people of God is by being regenerated by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary sacrifice. We've got a lot of big words. We're going to unpack them, so don't get worried. I'm going to read it one more time. The way into the people of God is by being regenerated by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary sacrifice. So let's take it kind of one term at a time. First big term we've got to deal with is regeneration. What is that? What does it mean to be regenerated? Here's, here's simple definition. Regeneration is an act of God in which he imparts spiritual life to us. Regeneration is an act of God in which he imparts spiritual life to us. Okay, it's the same thing as being born again, being made alive spiritually. And if you want to get into the people of God, if we want to be in the people of God, we have to be made alive spiritually. And we read about this earlier, okay, the need for this earlier. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. Think about what this is saying. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's Paul saying? He's saying apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. We had no spiritual life. We did not respond to God. We did whatever our desires and our mind said to do. And the clear consequence is judgment. And notice the word all. Every single one of us was in that predicament, not a part of the people of God. In order to be made a part of the people of God, we had to be Regenerated. We have to be made alive. We have to be born again, which is exactly what we see in the next verse. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is what it means to be regenerated. And there is no other way into the people of God other than being born again. Now, Many of you in this room, this has happened to you. And here's our application right now. Just to pause and to remember where we were. Remember for a minute what it was like before the Spirit of God made you alive. Remember how he did that in your life. Remember how different things have been since then. Just take a moment to thank him. In your heart, take a moment to marvel at him, who he is and what he's done for you. And 
If you're here and this hasn't happened for you, you've never been made alive by the Spirit of God. I want to tell you how it could happen. Okay, so let's go back to our truth real quick. Um, The way into the people of God is by being regenerated or born again by the Spirit of God. And then how does that happen? It happens through faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary sacrifice. So the way that that happens is through faith in Christ and in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Now let me show you this again, continuing in Ephesians, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Okay, It's not something you work for. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So salvation is this gift of grace, and it is received by faith, by believing. Now we have to ask the question, believing in what? What is the object of our faith so that we can receive grace? And verse 13 tells us the answer. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. What's he talking about when he says the blood of Christ? Well, he's talking about Jesus' sacrifice in our place. Right? When Jesus was on the cross and he was shedding his blood, he was shedding his blood so we would not have to shed our blood. He was paying our penalty. He was bearing our judgment. This is what we mean when we say substitution. He substituted himself for us. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration. It's probably my best story that I got. I've shared it before, um, but it's been a few years uh, and hopefully it'll give you a good idea of substitution, faith in, faith in a substitute. My freshman year um, of college basketball, I went to play at this small school in North Carolina, and I just wanted to keep the dream alive as long as I can. There's not a lot of love in college hoops for a small, slow white guy, um, but I found some place that would take me, and, and I wanted to make a good impression, you know? First, first day of the year, and uh, in this team meeting, first team meeting, coach says, hey, for every one minute late, that you are to anything, you've got to run one suicide for each minute that you're late. Well, individual workouts started the next morning. And I thought my workout started at 7 o'clock, started at 6.30. So much for making a good first impression. So I'm waking up, having my banana, starting to lace them up slowly, and I get a call from uh, one of our assistant coaches um, who strongly encouraged me to come down to the gym, as you might imagine. So I lace them up fast. I sprint down the gym, and I get there eight minutes late. Well, you guys who are involved in sports, you know how it is. The first day of the year, the coach is trying to make a statement, right? He wants to show you who's boss. So he puts us through this grueling workout, and then sure enough, at the end of the workout, those words that every player loves to or hates to hear, their last name followed by the phrase, on the line. So Kane, on the line. And here's what I got. I've got eight suicides in eight minutes. I got 30 seconds to run it, and then 30 seconds to rest. And for those of you who go to SCAD and you don't know what a suicide is, let me tell you what it is. <laughs> it's foul line, back, half court, back, other foul line, back, full court, back. So I go on the first one, foul line, back, half court, back, other foul line, back, full court, back, and I'm starting to feel bad. This is not looking good for me. Well, line up on the next one, the 30 seconds over before I know it, foul line, back, half court, back, other foul line, back, full court, back. I come across the line and I start seeing two of everything. I mean, I'm getting dizzy. Third one, step up to the line. Foul line, back, half court, back, other foul line, back, full court. When I get to the baseline, I fall on my knees, and I start puking everywhere. Puking everywhere. I'm on my hands and knees and puke. But coach is not relenting. He's saying 15 seconds till you're up. 
10 seconds till you're up. Right? He had set a very, very clear standard, and that standard had to be met. But here's my problem. I could not pay the penalty that I owed. Could not do it. And then, at just the right time, in steps Mustafa Dioff, our six foot 11 all-American sinner uh, from the Senegal. And he looks down at me in my helpless state. <laughs> and he looks over at Coach. And he says, Coach, <laughs> I will run for him. And Moose steps up to the line. And he knocks out those next five suicides while I lay there in my puke. And you know what Coach did? Coach accepted the sacrifice. Why? Because justice had been met. And all I had to do was look up and say, I'll take it. I'll take that. And I could go free. And friends, that's exactly how it works. Uh, and, and there's no doubt in a room this size, some of you guys are here this morning. And you feel like you're on your hands and knees in your own mess. Right? You feel like a kid that just deserves to be spanked. You have tried and tried and tried to straighten up. And you can't do it. Or maybe you're the exact opposite. Maybe you just run away from God, and you know you've run away from God. Addiction and promiscuity and self-indulgence. And all this quest for satisfaction has brought you is more emptiness and more loneliness and more brokenness. And this morning, you know that you're spiritually bankrupt. You know that you're spiritually dead. Or, or maybe... Maybe you're the exact opposite of that. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you went to Awanas and you were at, at Sunday school every week. And maybe you've committed to stay pure until you're married and to give 10% of everything you have and never to cuss and always to walk, watch Fox News and never CNN. <laughs> and, and you realize, man, I've just been playing a game. There's no love for Christ in me. Right? I've been playing church. All this that I'm doing is just putting makeup and jewelry on a corpse. No matter where you are this morning, religious or irreligious, the way into the people of God is by being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says that we were children of wrath, right? That our rebellion against God deserved his punishment. And friend, how could it deserve anything else? He made us, he puts breath in our lungs. Of course that's the right penalty. Right? Of course we deserve his judgment. But just like Moose substituted himself for me, Jesus Christ substituted himself for you. Right? And on the cross, he shed his blood so you don't have to shed yours. On the cross, he bore your judgment so you don't have to bear it. So you can go free. And then three days later, he came back from the grave. Literally, physically, in human history, he's not been disproven. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he left sin and death in the grave. And here's all that's left for you to do this morning, my friend. All that's left for you to do is to look up and to say, I'll take it. All that's left for you to do is say, I believe in him. And when you do, it will be the joy of God the Father to bring you in to the people of God. That is the way into the people of God. And let me just say this. It's not just the way in, friends. That's what continues to define us. This is why our Savior gave us ordinances like baptism, which pictures us dying and rising with him. It's why he gave us the Lord's Supper, to constantly remember his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. That's why forever we will be singing the praises of the Lamb who was slain. 
This is the way into the people of God, and it's what defines us as the people of God. And so this brings us to our next resolution. Resolution number two. In the new year, resolve not to go a day without celebrating Christ's sacrifice. In the new year, resolve not to go one day without celebrating Christ's sacrifice. Every day, take a little bit of time to remember where you were apart from him. Every day, take a little bit of time to remember what he did for you. Every day, remember that he didn't do this because you did something good. right? He, he didn't save you because of the work that you did or the performance that you put forward. He did it because it was his good pleasure. And every day, take a little bit of time to remember that it's this sacrifice that brought you in to the most wonderful people on earth. Okay, if you're like me, what I want to do right now after thinking about that is just to stop and worship God, but we have one more misconception to deal with. So uh, misconception number three, our last one, and we'll wrap it up, is this. As long as I'm a part of the universal church, my commitment to the local church is not that big a deal. Misconception number three, as long as I'm a part of the universal church, or as long as I have a personal relationship with God, it's not that big of a deal if I'm not committed to a local church. Okay, before we unpack this, this uh, misconception, let's get another definition. We've already defined the universal church. Now let's quickly define local church. Okay, here's how we define the local church. The local church is a community of believers in a specific location, organized under qualified leadership and committed to one another, who regularly gather to worship God and build each other up, and who scatter to carry out God's purpose in the world. This is what a local church is. Okay, a community of believers in a specific location, under qualified leadership, committed to one another. We regularly gather to worship God and build each other up, and we scatter to carry out God's purpose in the world. Now, um, the rest of the series is really kind of essentially going to be unpacking that definition. We're going to look very closely at, at what that says and, and what that means for us. But as it pertains to our conversation today, we've just got to deal with this misconception that there are more and more people who think that they can have a personal relationship with God but never commit to a local church. And, and let me just tell you now, I'm, I'm speaking here from experience. Because here's my story. I, I trusted Christ early on in college. And my life flipped upside down real fast, big time. Crazy life change. I just wanted to run through a wall for Jesus, okay? It's what I wanted to do. Um, I don't know what good that would have done, but it's what I wanted to do. And I, I looked at the local church, and I thought, it's kind of dull. It's not very exciting. I, mean, I don't know if these people, I don't know if they get it. <laughs> not like I do. I'm saved three weeks, you know? And so I just thought, if I had a personal relationship with God, then commitment to a local church was irrelevant. It wasn't that big of a deal. And the reality is more and more people are thinking this way. And some for the same reason. Some think the local church might slow them down or there's flaws in the local church, so they disassociate. Other people have really busy schedules, right? We live in a busy culture. There's lots of things to do. There's lots of things to accumulate. And so why add another commitment? Other people say, hey, man, you know, I get my Christian community from... Uh, Get it from my campus ministry or from this Bible study that I'm part of, or I got a good group of Christian friends, you know, so I don't really think I need the local church. And then 
there's no doubt some of you guys probably came this morning thinking, dude, I don't know. I've been hurt in the local church. I've been wounded. I've been let down. So it's easier for me just to kind of keep this thing at arm's length and not to jump in. And let me just speak to you for a minute, if that's you. Um, No clue what your circumstance is. And no clue what experience you've had. And maybe for you, even just walking through this, the doors this morning took some serious guts. And we want to applaud you that you had the guts to do it. We are really, really glad that you were here. And here's my hope, speaking on behalf of, of our church. Um, we hope that you don't have that experience with us. We hope that you find love here. We hope that you find grace extended to you here. We hope that you are cared for well here. But we can't make any promises. Because here's the reality about us. We're a group of broken people. We don't have it all together. We are very much in process. And sometimes we bump up against each other's edges, and sometimes we step on each other's toes. But here's what we want to do. Because we have received grace through Christ's sacrifice, we want to extend that grace to others. So we want that to define us. We hope that that's what you'll find at CBC. Um, But here's my goal for you this morning, and really my goal for all of us. I hope that you will see, not just from me, but from the scriptures, this truth, that every Christian should be actively committed to a local church. Excuse me. Every Christian should be actively committed to a local church. Um, Listen to how John Stott, great British preacher of the last century, he says this, uh, great quote here. He says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. Then he goes on to say, the Lord didn't save them without adding them to the church. Salvation and commitment to a local church went together. They still do. So any Christian, he says, who is not committed to a local church is a grotesque anomaly. Now, let me give you three biblical reasons why I think Stott is right. Okay, Reason number one, because there is a clear New Testament command. There is a clear New Testament command. Let me show you one of a few. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Right of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawn near. So here's the clear command. Don't neglect to meet together. Don't neglect meeting together. Now you might say, well, is this talking about the local church, or is this just talking about meeting with other believers? Well, when we look at our our second evidence that Stott's right, we're going to see it's talking about the local church. Because in the local church, we see a clear New Testament pattern. This is our second reason. There is a clear New Testament pattern. Let me show you. Um, You guys all know that before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples this clear command. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when he gave them that command, what did they do? Let Let me show you what they did. Just one example of many in the book of Acts. Acts 14 21 through 23. This was their typical pattern. When they had preached the gospel and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here's what they did. They preached the gospel. They made disciples. They gathered those disciples into churches, and then they appointed qualified leadership 
over, over that church. It's what they did over and over and over again in the book of Acts. You go do a, a read through the book of Acts, you'll see this happening. So when the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together, this is what he had in mind. Don't neglect to meet with this body of believers under qualified leadership. Okay, so there's a clear New Testament command, there's a clear New Testament pattern, and then third, there's clear New Testament imagery. Clear New Testament imagery. Let me explain this one. Um, there we go. So the primary way that the writers of the New Testament explain the church is through images. Now, when I explain this, you guys will, will, will know this. In Ephesians alone, listen to the images that Paul uses to explain the church. He calls the church the body of Christ, a commonwealth of citizens, a new man, the household of God, a holy temple, a family, the bride of Christ. All just in the book of Ephesians. Okay, and each one of these images, it does two things for us. One, it tells us something about how the church is to function. Okay, each of these images tells us about how the church is to function. But here's the other thing it does for us. Each of these images shows us something of God's heart for the church. His body, his family, his bride. And, and y'all, I remember... <laughs> after a couple years of being frustrated with the church, finally starting to study what the Bible actually says about the church. And I remember one day seeing, this is Christ's body. This is Christ's bride. This is God's family. And I started to think, how can I say I love Christ and not love what he loves most? Or to quote one author, he says, you can't love Christ and hate his bride. And then here's what I started to see. That the Bible doesn't just use these images for the universal church. The Bible uses some of these images for local churches. Local churches are the body of Christ. Local churches are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, here, here's what God ordained the local church to be. He ordained the local church to be a visible expression of the universal church in a specific location. God wants local churches to be a visible expression of the universal church in a specific location. Right? He intended that the church would manifest itself in churches. That was God's plan. For, for people of distinct backgrounds and socioeconomic groups, and, and races and nations to join together and to commit to one another as the people of God in a specific location, to picture what he's doing globally. And, and friends, this is why we would say that your, your parachurch ministry, your campus ministry, or your Bible study, or your friend group cannot and should not be your primary Christian community because it doesn't picture what God is doing. Right, this is also why we want old and young together in community groups. We, we, want, we want diversity. This is why, why we want to grow racially as a church. And, and listen, what we've understood in the last few months is we've got some changes to make if we really want to picture this. And, and we own that. And so for any of our non-white brothers and sisters in the room, I just want you to know that's on our radar. Um, we want everybody to feel welcome and loved and cared for here. Um, and so we want to take the steps to get there. See, the universal church, friends, is made up of all kinds of people. It's made up of black and white. It's made up of one percenters and people who are struggling to make it. It's made up of people who like tattoos and people who like neckties. It's made up of people who like hymns and people who like rap music. It's made up of people who wear duckheads. 
And as much as I don't want to admit it, it's made up of people who wear skinny jeans. Sometimes. <laughs> Maybe there's a correlation between being unsaved and skinny jeans. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but we want our local church to reflect that. And we don't just want our local church to reflect that. As diverse members of the same body, friends, we want to commit to one another. So why there are 59 one another commandments in the New Testament. We want to go out of our way to commit to people who are different than us so that we picture the body of Christ to the world all around us. And, and here's, here's what we know. This is not easy. This is not easy easy and it's messy and it's difficult to commit to love and care for and serve people who are completely different than you, who are still broken, who are still hurting, who are still recovering. That is difficult. But, but listen to Charles Spurgeon's encouragement. 150 years ago, Spurgeon said this. He said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would have not have been a perfect church after I had become a part of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. You know, we love connecting with people who share the same interests that we do. So we connect over business, and we connect over sports, and we connect over music, and we connect over all kinds of other interests. But take a minute to look around. Just look around the room for a minute. Actually, you can do it. Feel free. Look around. Heads on a swivel. There we go. These are the people who have received the grace of God. These are the people who were dead in their sins and through trust in Christ have been made alive by the Holy Spirit. These are the people who have come to love most what you love most, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else will you commit yourself to? And so at the encouragement of Spurgeon, here's our last resolution. In the new year, resolve to give yourself to the local church. In the new year, resolve to give yourself to the local church. And this will look different for different kinds of people. For some people, this will look from coming every once in a while to start coming regularly on Sunday morning. For other people, this might look from regular attendance to saying, hey, I'm in. I want to join the church in membership. Other people might say, hey, look, it's time for us to get plugged into a community group. Or we need to get into one of the trainings that the church is, is doing. Or maybe you want to start giving to the church or start serving the church. Resolve to give yourself to the church. And let me just own this. Not because we need you to. Because the Bible says so. And here's what we would be thrilled about. If this local church is not your home, we would love for, to help you find another local church that you could commit to. But in the new year, because this is God, God's plan, resolve to give yourself to the local church. As a Christian, to do anything else is like assuming that Jesus is coming back on a pink horse. Church is not a place that you go. The way into the church is not straightening up. The church is the new covenant people of God, all believers of all places at all times. And here in Savannah, it is our joy to regularly gather together to worship God and to build each other up, all because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So what we want to do now is celebrate his sacrifice for us. Um, 
And as we're seated, just like we did a couple weeks ago, the men are going to pass out the elements to the Lord's table. And what we want to do is, during the first song, take some time to reflect. Um, Reflect on what Christ has done for you to bring you into the people of God. And then uh, hold off on taking the Lord's Supper. At the end of the first song, I'll come back up and then I'll lead us in in the Lord's Supper as one body. Y'all pray with me. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have sent your son to be our substitute, but not just to save us individually, Lord God, to bring us into your people, to save us to each other, that we might belong to one another. Um, Lord God, I pray that now you would help us to understand your grace. I pray that now you would just inhabit the praises of your people. I pray that you would help us to have a just strong love and commitment for one another, that this church would glorify you in the way that we love you and the way that we obey you by caring for one another. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.